compared it, it says live. It, S-A-Y-S. Okay. Let's see, we're going to get started. No gym today, so ah, I'm going to have to read the psalm. Sergio is still checking, but I know it's live. It came up on the computer, so let's see here. We're in, yeah, he's telling us, okay, okay, go to bed. Okay, go to bed. Thank you. Okay, sorry about that, folks. Just making sure Sergio's okay. Sergio's in Israel taking care of our live stream, and he's been working two 16-hour days out in the desert. And he is just done, but he waited to get us started, so good man. Okay, we are in Psalm 119, verse 65. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. Okay, yeah, no gym today, so I'll just read the. Uh, the verses, and we'll just go over them without a second version. That's okay. And uh, let's see, we got some prayer requests. Charlie Missy, most of you know her. She does all the great shirts that we, we, we always wear, the gray shirts, and uh, you know, the just a, she had another stroke, and so she she needs prayer. She's kind of struggling right now, and uh, so we want to have Charlie in prayer. And then uh, Lorenzo Sanchez is very ill. He's seen over 25 doctors, and none knows what's going on. He can't stand or walk. He lost his home and job and so on, um, and he was to take care of his father, but now he can't, and both need prayer as far as their situation, but they both received Jesus this week, and so that's good news there. Somebody was able to use their affliction to talk to him about the Lord, and so praise the Lord. Um, let's see here. Jonathan's mother is 90. She's got many health issues, dement uh, dementia, stable in the mornings, but by evening she's going downhill. And so uh, he's asked for prayer for her. And then Anne's daughter is out of the hospital. She's on steroids, recovering from COVID, but she still needs prayer. And then um, Don and Pam uh, both haven't been here for a, a week and a half, two weeks. And it's because they, uh, they've been emailing and saying, we're just sick. We just, you know, we'll be coming in and we'll watch online and we'll come in when we're feeling better. And finally, yesterday, Pam was taken to the hospital and she's got double pneumonia and a hole in her lung. They have COVID right now. So they're, they're both not doing great. And so we want to keep them in prayer as well. And then uh, the folks in Afghanistan, we want to have them in prayer because there are a lot of U.S. citizens there that are facing very difficult times. Obviously, our government is not doing what they can to help them. And uh, so they're, they've kind of left the U.S. citizens that are not military or uh, State Department employees out to dry. And so... Uh, We'll just have to see where what happens with this, but we want to keep those folks in prayer because uh, bad times could be ahead for some of them. Uh, we'll hope that's not the case, but uh, with the leadership that we currently have, it's bound to be the case. They have not made good decisions in the past five days. Actually, it goes back several weeks or more, but uh, we want to keep them in prayer. And, January 20th. Well, yeah, that's, right. that's true. Since that's Yeah, right. that's right. Um, exactly. But on... Uh, 
we have uh, one other thing that I just want to say is that uh, when you have disputes with people or between people, uh, the best thing to do is to uh, uh, not let pride get in the way. And if you uh, are upset with anybody, you would want to hopefully just say your piece and then be done with it. Never go back a second time. Uh, but things do get resolved. Um, I'm saying this for some people that had some disagreements over the past few days. And uh, just as you know, a note to everybody is that uh, love covers a multitude of sins. And so if you're having difficulties with other people, just remember to be gracious and uh, forgiving and uh, one thing that we cannot do is get emotions through emails or texts or anything like that. And so if you have uh, uh, a dispute with somebody, uh, don't try to rectify it so much with a text as to just say what you say and then let it go. And that's probably the best avenue for people because uh, you know, it's, it's a difficult world. Social media, I've gotten off of all of that because people misunderstand things so quickly. And the world has become a place where everybody wants to take offense. And so we, we uh, you know, as Christians want to uphold the ideals of forgiving and moving on. And that's what happened. And I'm very grateful for that situation that occurred because it reminds me that uh, uh, that can happen if people are willing to be charitable towards one another. Anyway, um, we'll go ahead. We'll go to the Lord in prayer first. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the chance to come to you in prayer. And we've got these people that we mentioned just now, and there are many other people that have emailed or uh, been put onto the online prayer list that uh, have needs that you know about. You're aware of every single one of them, and you're a great and wonderful and caring creator, and we thank you for that. We know that you hear the prayers of your people. We certainly lift up the people that are in Afghanistan and other surrounding countries there that are facing real difficult times, and we would pray that your hand would be with them and that uh, those that know you would be a testimony to those that don't. So maybe more people would come to a, a understanding of why they have a peace, even in difficult times. Lord, other than knowing you, how can we have any peace at all, especially when things are going downhill? So we pray for these people, and we thank you for this class, and we ask that you uh, uh, just bless our time here and help our hearts to be open to you and to what your word says. And if there's something that is not said that is correct, if it is incorrect, we would pray that it would be brought up to me so that I would not teach something incorrect to the people. Lord, this would be my prayer today and each time we meet. We thank you for the chance to be in your presence, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Miss Garrett, how are you today? Very good to see you. That's a cute bandana you got on. My wife, she's gotten in the habit of wearing bandanas, and she's just as cute as a button. So, uh, oh yeah, that's okay. Um, let's see here. We've got August 19th. Oh, one more thing I'll say, you know, I've, uh, I've had, um, uh, lots of people that attend online that are facing mandatory vaccinations and they, uh, have emailed and asked me to do a letter for them. And I want to remind you that the federal government cannot overturn a religious exemption that is submitted. Okay. They must make every reasonable accommodation according to federal law. So if you are facing a mandatory evacu uh, vaccination from your employer and you uh, do not want to get that, that is your religious right to not get it, email me and I will do a letter. I've done lots and lots of them. I had two today email me and say that uh, the uh, vaccination letter was approved, even though it's part of the government, which has mandated that everybody must do it because they cannot override the laws, which the government has already passed. What they can do 
And I told one of the people that we're in a war in this particular issue, okay? No doubt about it, but we have won small battle so far, and what we need to do is just be happy about winning the battle and continue on in this war. Uh, if you, I'm not telling you to get a vaccine. I'm not telling you to get not get vaccine. I don't care what you do with that. That is your choice. But if you do not want one, the federal law, the EEOC standards are mandating that they must reasonably accommodate you if you have a religious uh, reason to not get that vaccine. So I'm reminding you of that, that if that's something that you need, that you, because of your own personal convictions, email me and I will get that out to you if you attend online as a, you know, a member of the church or you're an online attendee. And um, uh, one other thing before I read this day in Christian history is that I did another midweek report and I'm not going to post them to YouTube anymore. Um, I will only be posting them to Rumble from now on out. We'll continue to live stream on YouTube and we will continue to um, uh, have the church service live stream Thursday night and Sunday on YouTube and the sermons will be on YouTube, but I will no longer do the reports and post them to YouTube because uh, this past week I got dinged and uh, all it takes is for somebody to just report it. They say, well, this person said something that is inaccurate or violates your standards. And it doesn't matter if it's true or not. They immediately take down your video and they strike you. And then I had to go through the appeals process and somebody went through the report and they said, no, you did not violate the standards. We're going to put the video back up. But I'm not going through that anymore. I'm not going to go through that type of stress. And it is very stressful when you have to go through that. So I'm not going to do it. We will no longer be posting the reports. I did one yesterday. You can go to Rumble. And if you can't find it, here's what I want you to do is go to the Superior Word website and right at the top right corner are five little circles. One's got a U in it, a YouTube icon. One has got an R. That's Rumble. Just click on that circle and it'll take you directly to the Superior Word um, channel on Rumble. And then you can watch what you want. Okay. There's four or five buttons. One will take you to Sermon Audio. The re reports and the sermons are posted there as well. So that's what you need to do if you want to watch these because they will no longer be posted on YouTube. Okay, August 19th. Oh, one more thing. Yesterday was August 18th, which means it's Tom Alley's birthday. So the people that have come to Sarasota to visit. Um, yeah, well, the people that have come to Sarasota to visit and they have gone to the mission, the projects. And there's a lot of people that have come from even around the world, much less around the U.S. to visit. And they go to the projects and they all know Tom Alley. Uh, you can sing in your heart, happy birthday to Tom right now. Okay, August 19th. Samuel Miller lived a life of hope. He was born in 1769 near Dover, Delaware, where his father was a Presbyterian minister. Miller was a descendant of pilgrims John Alden and Priscilla Mullins, the hero and heroine of Longfellow's poem. The courtship of Miles, I'm, yes, the courtship of Miles Standish. He went to Philadelphia in 1788 and entered the University of Pennsylvania a year after the Constitutional Congress began its deliberations there. After being, excuse me, after graduating, he studied theology at Dickinson College and then became a prominent Presbyterian minister in New York City. Miller also achieved fame as an author. In 1812, Miller and several others co-founded Princeton Theological Seminary. The following year, he left his congregation in New York and went to Princeton to become the seminary's second professor. He taught church history and church government. Miller spent the next 36 years at Princeton, teaching and preaching with equal passion. 
He revealed in educating future Presbyterian ministers. I'm sorry, he reveled in educating future Presbyterian ministers, watching them grow into theologically knowledgeable and godly pastors. During the 1840s, his health began to deteriorate, but he was able to continue his work. In August 1849, it was clear he was too weak to carry out his teaching duties. Students continued to visit him for prayer and guidance, but he did not return to his seminary classroom. On Sunday, August 19, 1849, although very weak, Samuel Miller preached at the Dutch Neck Presbyterian Church five miles from Princeton, where for 10 years he and Archibald Alexander had served while the church was without a pastor. He spoke on hope as the anchor of the soul, Hebrews 6.19, emphasizing the differences between the anchor of a ship and the anchor of the soul. Whereas an anchor on a ship takes hold of things below, the believer's hope takes hold of things above. He told the congregation, whether or not this may be the last time that I shall address you is a matter of small importance. But you may inquire, how does this hope appear to an old man standing just upon the verge of the grave? Then he lifted up his hands and exclaimed in a faltering voice, Oh, inexpressible, delightful. This, is, this was Samuel Miller's last sermon. He was 80 years old. Although homebound and gravely ill, Samuel Miller continued to accept visitors. He was aware of his imminent death and spoke of it welcomingly and hopefully. When his visitors were leaving, he would say that since it would be their last encounter on earth, it would be well to close it with prayer. Miller's life was marked by humility and fervent prayer, nowhere better demonstrated than in a last prayer for a former student and beloved friend. And now, Lord, seeing thine aged, imperfect servant is about to be gathered to his fathers, let the years of thy young servant be as the years of his dying teacher. Let his ministry be more devoted, more holy, more useful, and when he comes to die, may he have fewer regrets to feel in reference of his past ministrations. We are to meet no more on earth, but when thy servant shall follow his aged father to the grave, may we meet in heaven, there to sit and shine and sing with those who have turned many to righteousness, who have washed their robes and made them white, the blood of the Lamb. Amen. Samuel Miller's epitaph reads, He lived esteemed by thousands and died amidst light and joy from the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom was all his hope. They ask, do you have the kind of hope in Jesus Christ that Samuel Miller experienced even on the verge of death? Is your hope anchored to the things on this earth or on things above? And they cite Hebrews 6, we who have fled to him for refuge can take new courage, for we can hold on to his promise with confidence. This confidence is like a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain of heaven into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. Good stuff. Uh, yeah, I feel bad for people that don't have that anchor, even if they are saved Christians and they don't have the anchor because they're not in the Word of God. And that is where we need to be. We need to be in the Word in the morning. We need to be in the Word at night. We need to check the Word after we hear a sermon, whether it's on TV or whether we're driving down the road or whenever. You need to check what you've heard to make sure that it aligns with this Word because this is how we come to know Jesus Christ properly. And we can't know God apart from Jesus Christ, so you need to know your Bible.
please know your Bible. Read your Bible daily. Just cherish it, think on it, meditate on it, and uh, thank God for it each chance that you get because it is a gift that is a wonderful gift that he has given us. Um, while I was reading that and thinking about Princeton Theological Seminary that was founded by people like that, was dedicated to the light of God. Its uh, motto is Urim and Thummim, which is lights and perfections, which comes from Leviticus 8.8, 8, I believe. Anyway, uh, uh, they really believed the word of God, and they believed that it was the light and perfection that we had to understand who God is. And now at Princeton, you cannot get a sound theological degree. You cannot get sound theological teaching. All you get is whitewash. You get the people that tear apart the word of God. You get all kinds of other religious expressions taught to you, but you do not get the word of God the way that it was attended by these people so long ago. And this is the way it is with all of the Ivy League schools. They were all started with the purpose and the premise of founding this new nation, getting the gospel out as far and as wide as possible to train up people to be missionaries in other countries as well. And now that is the last thing on their minds. It's very sad. We need to hold to this. We need to not surrender our beliefs and our faith in this word at all. We need to make sure that we teach it to the next generation. We need to teach it to those in our family. And if you're a grandparent and you have grandchildren, don't trust that the parents are going to do that, even if they're sound Christians, because they have busy lives and you don't. So whisper in the grandchildren's ear as often as you can. Let's make sure that we get this word out to people. Um, I believe that we're in four. Oh, we're in 420. Is that correct? We did 419 last week. Are we sure of that? Okay, because I, I think that's probably correct, but my pages are all out of order here. And um, or yeah, it's probably correct. We're going to start with 420. If I miss 419, somebody can uh, send me a nasty email and let me know. Um, I did not. Usually I circle the next one to be done. Um, I thought you said that you got off work at five o'clock. And you got here this quickly? Oh, you left early. Oh, my goodness. What a good girl. So you could be at class. Well, that's okay. We're just, we were talking about you before you got in here, how happy we are that you have a job, and we hope that it goes well for you, and we're all very excited for you, and et cetera. So it's good to have you here. She even. Under grace and not law. Yeah, she drove under grace and not law to get here. How far is it from there to here? Yeah, well, then it's at least a 10-mile drive, maybe more. Okay, well, we're glad to have you here. Okay, let's go into Ephesians 4, verse 20 is where we're going to start today. And uh, let's see here. 4, verse 20 is uh, it's probably, oh, very last one on the page here. Uh, but if you But you have not so learned Christ. That's a lot of words there. But you have not so learned Christ. What I better do is go back and read a little bit so you know the context. We'll start in 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ. So there you go. That's the context. Okay, the sentence begins with an emphatic but, as Paul contrasts his readers to the darkened minds of the Gentiles. 
He's making an adamant statement concerning those who are born again. The words learned Christ are unique in the Bible, but they correspond to the idea of Christ being preached and taught. Through the message of Christ, we learn of his person, his work, the scope of his work, the nature of his many offices, and so on. Thus, it is not merely the doctrine of Christ that Paul is referring to, but rather the fact that he is the subject of his own message. We have learned of him through the message of him. What I'm trying to say there is that if you go back to read the Law of Moses, like this week, we're going to have a sermon on Deuteronomy 22. Yes, 22, 22 through 30. Okay, and we're going to have the same type of things that we talked about over the past few weeks. There are pictures of Christ being made. Well, who gave the law to Moses? The Lord. Jesus is the Lord. He gave this law to Moses. Moses repeated it to the people. He uh, wrote it down for them. And it is that law that Christ gave to Moses that speaks of Christ. That says it in John 5. It says it in John 6. You know, you search the scriptures and you think in them you have eternal life, but they are that which speak of me. So he's telling Moses something, anticipating the day that he is going to fulfill what he's telling Moses. He is the subject of his own message. We have learned of him through the message of him. And because of this, we are not darkened in our minds. We are not set on a path of futility leading to debauchery. In this, we see that the term Christ is referring to the office which is held, whereas Jesus in the next verse is speaking of the office holder. Okay, everybody understand that. Christ, you know, if you talk to a Jewish person, they will uh, often say Jesus Christ, and they think that's a last name. They don't understand that that's not a name at all. It's an office. And if you tell them that all Christ means is Messiah, anointed one, they both mean exactly the same thing. The Hebrew word Moshiach and the Greek word um, uh, Christos mean exactly the same thing. They both mean anointed one. So if you tell him, a Jew, that a, the name Christ is not a name or the word Christ is not a name, but it means Messiah. All of a sudden, they have an understanding that they never had before. They just think it's a name. They have no idea, okay? And there are a lot of things that the Jewish people have been misled by their rabbis over the years on. Uh, if you talk to a Jew and you mention the Trinity, they'll say, oh yeah, I've heard of that. That's uh, the Father and Mary and Jesus. And no, that's not the Trinity, but that's what they've been taught, okay? And so they believe things like that. That's passed on because if you tell them it's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which I did to some Jews I was witnessing to, they were absolutely floored. They couldn't believe it. They said, what's right in your Bible? Go to Genesis 1 verse 2, the Spirit hovering over the waters. There is God, and then you go down a couple verses, and it says the plural us, and what do you think's going on there? And all of a sudden, they start wanting to know what they have not been introduced to properly all of their life. Anyway, um, Jesus is the office holder, Christ, Messiah, the anointed one is the position. So when God says, when it says God in Christ did this or God in Christ did that, it doesn't mean that it's specifically speaking of Jesus, even though it is. It's speaking of his office. In other words, we say that Christ came at the year 4,000, okay, 2,000 years ago. But the office of Christ has existed from the very beginning. It's, if you look, read Paul's words and you look at the word Christ when he introduces it, it may be speaking of something that God was doing back at the time of the Exodus, okay? And that rock, uh, they drank from the same rock, and that rock was Christ. So it's an office. It's actually an office, and Jesus is the holder of that office. <laughs> okay, the Gentiles walk in futility because they are without an understanding 
of the office which Christ fills. Now, I say Gentiles here, but nowadays it's exactly the opposite. You know, the, those that do know the office of Christ are mostly Gentiles and a small portion of Jews, okay? And the Jews don't understand the office of which Christ fills, okay? And so it's our job to, to pass the gospel on to Jew and to Gentile, okay? When you're reading the Bible, you're reading it at a time when Paul was writing to Gentiles who didn't know anything, and he is telling them about these things, and the Jews were the ones that did know. And very quickly, you go through the book of Acts and you see the transition going from the Jews eventually to the Gentiles. And that's where it's been for the past 2,000 years. But eventually, the church is going to be taken out of here and the believers in Israel are going to start growing and they'll be uh, larger in number there. The focus will be on Israel. And also, there will be many Gentiles that the focus will be on as well. We know that because there's a great white multitude that comes out of the tribulation period, but they're going to have to suffer through it. Okay? So, anyway. What Paul is doing is taking the words of verses 9 and 16 and contrasting them to verses 17 and 19. So let me take you there just so you can see what I'm talking about. We've got 4, 9 says, Now he, this he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. And then in verse 16, it says, From whom the whole body joined and knit together by whatever joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love and that's being contrasted to verses 17 uh, and 19 or through 19 which i just read and i'll read again think of what i just read and now this this i say therefore and testify in the lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the gentiles walk in the futility of their mind having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. So there's the contrast between the two, okay? So uh, the offices of verse 11, actually what I did is I said 9 and 16, it's 9 through 16, but I'm not going to go back and read it. Just go read 9 through 16 and contrast it to 17 through 19. Okay, um, the offices of verse 11 are given to teach us of Christ and how to conduct ourselves in him. So I cite that. I better read them to you. Okay, sorry about that. I That's what I get for being dyslexic. I don't always see what I'm looking at. Okay, so um, verse 11 says, um, oh yeah, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, etc. Okay, so that's uh, verse 11. They're given to teach us of Christ and how to conduct ourselves in him. That's what the offices are for. We are to avoid the state which he describes in verse 14, that of being children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. I'll give you a perfect example of that right now. Let me read it again. Tossed, these are children, people in the church or people that are being taught religion, okay? They're children. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Okay, people will just tell you anything and people that aren't grounded in the word will be tossed just like you're on a wave, on a little ship on a wave and you're being thrown, or on the ocean, on big waves, and you're being thrown all over the place. Okay, that's what Paul is using that metaphor. He was shipwrecked several times, he's lost at sea, etc. He knows what it's like to be on the sea, and he says, this is just like the people I see that have bad doctrine, that will believe anything, because they don't 
read the word. They don't pursue the word. Here's an example. Perfect example. I was coming to church on Wednesday to film the Wednesday report. Oh, what a nightmare. I got to tell you this. I'll give you some background information before I tell you what happened. I get here. I realized that I forgot to bring the recording thing to plug into the system. So I had to drive back home. Okay. I went back home and I got it. I plugged it in. And then I got here and I turned on the system and I did the entire report. It took me almost an hour. I read it out. Okay. And then I realized that I did not push the record button. <laughs> And so there goes another hour of an already very busy day. It was a terrible day already. I was so, and I still am, I'm way behind even from yesterday. So I had to redo the entire report and then I had to go home. And I, I was so far behind yesterday. I'm so exhausted from it. But here's the point. I just want to give you a little something to laugh at. And Jody obviously thought that was fun. But um, here's what happened. I pulled up and as I was pulling in, they had this whole road closed because they were putting in a crosswalk. You'll see it down there when you go home today. And today they closed off Gateway so they could put a crosswalk there. Now that they've got the roads repaved, they're doing this. So th this road was closed. And if you wanted to come down here, you had to pull in here and go down this parking lot to get down Superior because you could not do it otherwise, okay? So the guy that was waving the flag waved me in because he's blocking me so I don't go that way. And I pull in and I pull right up here and I park. And he's a flag waver. And he sees the Israel bumper sticker on my car. And he says, are you Israel? And I said, what? And he said, are you waiting for Noah? And I said, what? And he said, are you waiting for Noah? Are you of Israel waiting for Noah? And I said, I, I, I didn't know what, to, I didn't even know how to respond to him. I'm like, what's he talking about? And then he said, um, he said, yeah, Noah is still alive. He's been alive for 3,000 years, and he's going to show himself soon. And I thought, how can people get so misdirected in life? He, and, he, and some more people walked by, and he started talking to them about the same thing. And that is exactly, that. read it again. Now that I've told you that, read this again and listen to what I just said. It says, um, uh, children. Think of this guy, young guy out here, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. This guy's probably stuck in some cult. He has no idea, no idea what he's dealing with because he doesn't know the word of God and somebody is leading him down the primrose path. And I thought, I didn't even know how to talk to this guy. It was so bizarre. I thought, Should you know. Link to your yeah. Noah's sermon. Oh, yeah, Noah's sermon. Yeah, that's true. You know, I didn't even think of that. I didn't even think of that. I, I was just, I was so floored by this guy. I, I was just, I had no idea how to even. And then, like I said, he started talking to some other people. So it was over with me. I mean, he was just, I'm thinking, this is, this is why you need to read your Bible. You need to be prepared for what is coming when somebody comes and starts telling you. You know, I mean, people that uh, went down to uh, uh, Waco, Texas, right? And they got in with David Koresh. They probably thought that they were in the right position in life. Okay. And they weren't. And they ended up shooting, getting shot by federal agents and shooting back and the place burns down. And it's just terrible. Think of these people. Think of any cult like this that people get into and they teach something that's off. And how do you defend against it? How do you do that? Especially if the message is something that's new and exciting. And I've never heard that. How do you know that? Oh, yeah, Noah's coming. And, you know, it was just, it was very bizarre. It was very bizarre. Yeah, Jesus. 
Anyway, so, uh, I, yeah, you're right. I probably should have just gone out and... and he's, he's probably there tomorrow on Gateway, so if I see him, I'll give him something. Write him a little link. So a little link. He can find that. There you go. Oh, boy. Okay, so it was just so bizarre. It was just such a bizarre thing that... Okay, um, here we go. So, uh, such an existence in Christ, speaking of these people that are tossed to and fro, such an existence in Christ would be comparable to the darkness which still exists in the walk of the Gentiles. We have not so learned Christ. Instead, that we are to be sound in our theology, mature and perfect in our doctrine. This is what Paul would write to us. This is what Peter writes to us. This is the unified message. Uh, what is it? Let me take you to, to uh, John, little book, and I think it's 2 John. It might be 3 John. And it's a unified message that they are telling us. And he says it in just one simple, one simple sentence. It's going to take me a second to get there. Uh, let's see here. We're going to go to first to 2 John. It might be 3. They're both on one page. Oh, here it is. 2 John 10. I'm going to take you first to 9 so you get a little bit of the context. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. Verse 10. If any, Think of being tossed to and fro. You don't know your Bible properly. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Don't even let somebody, a Jehovah's Witness comes knocking at your door. Say, I'm sorry, I can't let you into my home. I say, I'm not even going to greet you, but if you want to know proper theology, I will stand outside and I will tell it to you. But you're not to give me your doctrine. Because these people are an infection, they will send you down the wrong path, and the next thing you know, you're, listen, I know, because I started three months in the Job's Witnesses, I'd never seen anybody open their Bible in my life, and so I thought, oh, they must know what they're talking about. And I went over to there, spent three months, and very quickly I realized they did not know what they were talking about. It's uh, 2 John, it's verse 10, 2 John, verse 10. So there you go. It's just one page uh, epistle, but two John verse 10. And, you know, it's good to remember that verse. And the reason why is because if you remember that verse, you can then cite it to them and let them know that you do not hold to what they believe. You will not accept their doctrine. Okay. You're going to share in your wicked work if, or you will share in their wicked work if you do. So don't even be swayed to do so because they will have you, if, especially if you don't know what you're talking about, they will carry you away with every wind of their crazy doctrine. Okay, so um, life application. Paul, under inspiration of the Spirit, has shown us that our Christian walk is to be one which is completely contrasted to that of the world in which we walk. We are not to conform to the world and thus be ineffective in our presentation of Christ. If we are like the world, then there is no difference between us and them, and thus there is nothing to emulate. Okay, we, now, Paul does say, and I'm going to take you there just because I don't want people to get too far away from the uh, premise. In 1 Corinthians 5, it's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible because it's small, it's direct, and it's got so much theology in it. We're just going to go to one point towards the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'll read it to you. It's, um, uh, let's see here, uh, I'll start in verse 9, okay? And this is going to close out the chapter. It's just a very short chapter. But he said, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep, keep company with sexually immoral people. So he wrote that to him. Don't deal with sexually immoral people. Don't hang around with sexually immoral people. But then he realizes 
I may have told them something that they don't understand what I'm talking about. He said, yet, I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world, or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would have to go out of the world. He's saying it's fine. If you have a friend that's sexually immoral that's not a Christian, be his friend. You're the only light he's going to get. He's not telling you not to associate with people. And in fact, he's telling you exactly the opposite, just what Jesus did. He went and hung around with the tax collectors and sinners. He's saying, be with these people. But if a brother, he goes on, he says, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written you to not keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Why? Because now you are with that person and the person that you are trying to evangelize sees his conduct and he's got nothing to emulate. Think of what I just said here. It says, um, we are not to conform to the world and thus be ineffective in our presentation of Christ. If we are like the world, like the guy that says he's a brother, but he's like the world, then there is no difference between us and them. And all they see is, well, this guy, John, seems okay, but this guy over here is just like me, right? Don't do that. Do not hang around with Christians that claim to be Christians that are not living the life for Christ because you will be ineffective in your testimony towards other people and you will also come down to their level at some point. It's inevitable to happen. But if you got somebody that is living for the world and he's not a Christian, hang around with him. Be a light for him. Just don't conform to the world for his sake. Instead, be above the world and be the light to him that you should be. Okay, there you go. 421. Yes. 19. Or excuse me, on 18, he said blindness. The blindness of their heart. Of their heart. Mine says hardness. Hardness is different than blindness. Hardness is different than blindness. And if you want, I will go right now. That is one. And that's. Hang on a second here. We're going to go to. Uh, I've got it. Yeah, hang on. Give me a second here. I've got to pull up Bible Gateway or Bible Hub. I want to go to BibleHub.com because I don't know in the Greek without checking. I mean, I have not memorized the Greek. So oh, we're, we're going to have to go to Ephesians. Yes, I know. <laughs> Ephesians 4, verse 18. And you want to know if it's blindness or if it is. We're going to go to the Greek. Hang on a second here. Yes, blindness. You know, if you think of uh, blindness of the heart, you would think of there's two times that the word is used in the Old Testament, sanvarim, okay? Uh, it was used in um, uh, when Lot was down in Sodom and he, the angels blinded the people. Remember that? Gave them sanvarim and they could not find the door. The second time is when uh, Elijah or Elisha was in Samaria and the, the armies were surrounding them and they got blinded. Okay, and he took them all. They weren't in Samaria, but he brought them to Samaria. Okay, so that is kind of the th same thing, a blindness, okay? Uh, it's a spiritual blindness. But the word here in Greek, and I don't know if it's the same or not, so we're going to get that. Um, uh, the heart, this one says hardness. It's the word porosis, okay? A covering with a callus, okay? So if you think of it, it's covered. It could be blindness because your eyes are covered, right? Or it could be the heart, hardness of the heart, obtuseness. Okay, so we're going to have to read a little more. Helps word study says, um, por, from poros, or I'm sorry, from poros, a kind of marble used later of a callus formed on fractured bones, figuratively callousness or hardness in general. Originally petrifaction, hardness, and then the result of this, for example, metaphorically applied to organs of feeling 
meaning insensibility, numbness, obtuseness, dulling of the faculty of perception, and deadness. So it actually could be either hardness or blindness. It just depends on how you perceive that word should be used. Um, it's used in Mark, the hardness of their heart, okay? It's used in Romans 11.25, uh, that um, a partial hardening has happened to Israel, whereas the King James Version says a blindness has come upon Israel. Speaking of Israel for their, um, let me read you that verse. So um, the, the similarity is the covering, not so much the state of the heart or the eyes, but it's the covering of it. So hang on just a second, Romans 11, and what did I say? Uh, 25. So uh, here it says, for you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature uh, into a cultivated olive tree. How much more will these who are natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree. Verse 25, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own eyes, and they say here blindness, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Yours may say hardness. It's a covering. So think of it this way. I can't see, or your heart is can't discern. Okay? Does that help? Okay. I don't know if it helps or not, but you say, okay, so I'm going to let it go with that. But that's, that's the answer. Is the word is porosis. Okay. So here we go. Um, verse 421. 421. It says, I'm going to start with 20 again, just because it's another short little thing. But you have not so learned Christ, verse 21, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Okay, so, 421. This verse is to be taken together with the previous verse, which I just read. There's a strong connection being made between Christ and Jesus in these verses. Christ is the office, Jesus is the office holder. Paul is indicating that there is the true Christ, and there are false presentations of Christ. He notes that true believers haven't learned Christ in a way that leads to lewdness and to ungodliness of the previous verses, which said, if indeed you have heard, oh, I'm sorry, in this verse it says, if indeed you have heard him. Okay, if you've heard him, you're not going to act in that way. In other words, if it was the true Christ whom you heeded, then you have learned a way other than that which I just described. Okay, I gave you the bad thing, and now I'm telling you that if you've learned Christ, this is the way that you should be acting and you should be accepting to further bolster excuse me to <clears throat> to further bolster this he goes on by saying and have been taught by him it is rather to be translated as and have been taught in him the word in greek is n taught in him if one is in christ and is taught in the teaching teachings of christ by those designated in verse 11 then they will not walk in the vile way of the unregenerate. Instead, they will fit the description of those who are properly trained in accord with the words of verses 12 through 16. I had somebody email me yesterday and was talking about doctrine in general, and uh, one of the things she noted was, you don't ever bring up repentance when you give a salvation call. And I said, because that is not a part of a salvation call. Despite 99% of the tracts out there saying you must repent, and blah, blah, blah. It is not a part of the salvation call. The salvation call is that Christ died for your sins, meaning you're a sinner. Christ was buried, meaning he really died for your sins. He didn't just swoon. He actually died and was buried, and he rose again. 
And Paul says, if you believe that message, you will be saved. And then he tells you how to appropriate it in Romans 10, 9 and 10, which is, if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. If you believe in your heart that uh, God did these things, and paraphrasing, and you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. So this is the gospel. That's the appropriate appropriation message. And people will always take things like Acts chapter 2, where Peter is speaking to Israel, and he says, repent and be baptized and wash away your sins, and you will be given the gift of the Holy Spirit. That does not apply. Peter was speaking to Israel. They had just crucified their Messiah. They had rejected him. By default, they had to repent because the word repent means to change your mind. If they had the mind that this isn't the Christ and we're going to crucify him, by default, they have to repent. Now, if I've gone up to Burke Carico and I say, Burke, I want to tell you about Jesus. And he says, I reject that. I, I totally reject that. I don't believe that message. And guess what he's going to have to do before he comes to Christ? He's going to have to repent because he has to change his mind about who Christ is. So in his case, he needs to repent. But if somebody has never heard of Jesus Christ, there's no repentance that needs to be done. There's nothing to change your mind from. You need to acknowledge that you're a sinner, that you need Christ, and that he will save you. Okay? Repentance does not mean changing your life. You come to the physician and he changes your life. Nobody goes to the doctor and says, okay, I'm going to go back home, I'm going to get myself well, and then I'll come back and I'll let you diagnose me. Nobody does that, okay? That is what people use as a, a means of saying you need to repent. Or they take words from Luke where Jesus says, repent, right? Jesus specifically says that. Who is he talking to? He's talking to Israel. He's talking to Israel under the law. He's never been crucified for anybody's sins. He has not yet initiated the new covenant that didn't come until the night before he was crucified. So none of that applies. You have to get the proper dispensation and the proper context to understand what you are talking about in regards to salvation. Or you'll have people that for the rest of their walk just got a letter from some nice people today. They said they attend online. I don't know if they do on Thursdays, but they said they attend online on Sundays. And they said, we're so thankful for your saved by grace um, doctrine sermon, because they now have the assurance that they are saved eternally. Uh, once, uh, what is it? Uh, once saved, always saved, or not so, I think it was called. And they watched that, and they said, we're so thankful for that. And that really made my day, because I've had another long day today, and I've been tired, and, and all of a sudden, I get a note like that, and I'm just so grateful for it. Because if people understand those core doctrines, that you don't need to repent of anything, unless you've already rejected Christ. When you come to Christ, now here's the point that I was going to get to. When you come to Christ, now I understand that I'm a sinner and I've been saved by the blood of Christ. You should be thankful and you should be grateful and you should say, I want to know this Savior. And then you get into the Word and you start conforming your life to who He is in accord with the words of the apostles who explain what Christ did for you. That is when you are showing obedience to the Word. But if you do not do that, and here's a second problem with people that teach, you know, uh, works naturally come from saving faith. That is just as bad as telling somebody they need to repent in order to be saved. Works do not come naturally from saving faith. Works come from knowing that you are supposed to do these things. If you get saved, somebody comes up to you and walks, walks up to you on the beach and says, I want to tell you about Jesus. Okay. And you tell him about Jesus, and he says, I'm free from my sins. Praise God. And he gets back on his plane, and he flies to, give me a country, Burke. 
Japan. He flies back to Japan. He never goes to church again in his life. Is he going to have any works for Christ? No. He has no doctrine. He has no Bible. All he knows is he was saved. He has no way of naturally doing works. Nobody there believes him. Nobody will listen to him. And so he's just as, and that was a good country to pick because it is really hard to, one, get converts in Japan. And two, it's really hard to know if you got a true convert because people do things socially in Japan that you have no idea what they think. It is a very hard place to, you can be with a person their whole life and find out that they're really not saved at all. They never believed. They just wanted to be a part of the thing that the Americans were teaching. It, that's how Paul Stoll could have told you that. He understood because he was over there. But um, uh, just because you don't have works does not mean you are not saved. Just because you don't demonstrate that you are doing the right things does not mean you're not saved. Hence, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, which we just read. He says, this person says he's a brother, but he's doing these things, meaning don't hang around with him. Obviously, he's saved. He doesn't say he's not saved. He says, don't hang around with him. Okay, and then let me take you to these verses so that once again, we have this. I love to bring these verses in because if anything dispels the myth of uh, works naturally follow after saving faith, it is 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. It dispels the myth that anybody will naturally have works to go with their saving faith. Okay, so here's what we are to do. If we come to Christ, and if you want to be productive in your salvation, which goes right along with what Paul is speaking about here, if you want to be productive in your salvation, I like to read this once a month or so because it's it's important for you to remember so that you can remember it when you're talking to somebody that says he's a Christian, but he's not acting like it, that you don't judge him, okay? Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, okay? He's saying, I want you to know, he's writing to save believers, grace and peace to you, in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. He's saying, this is where you should be, okay? As his divine power has given to us, believers here, all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's what we're talking about right now. These are the things that we do that pertain to life and godliness. I'm saved. This is how I demonstrate that. And it's by following what Paul is telling us right now. But Peter is telling us this as well, okay? Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. So we have all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. In other words, Christ gives us all that we need to live as he is saying. He gives us all of it, and it's recorded in the word, okay? By which you have been given to, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Yay, we're going to go to heaven someday. This is what people believe. I was saved. I will no longer go to hell. I'm going to go to heaven. So that's basically what he's saying. Good job, folks. You have precious promises that through these, these precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. He says, you're saved. You have escaped it. You are on your way to heaven. It is done. And now he tells you what to do about that saving uh, grace that has been bestowed upon you. Verse five, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. He's saying, you are saved. You had saving faith and you have the precious promise of going to heaven. The guy in Japan, okay? For this very reason, add to your faith virtue. The guy in Japan doesn't have the Bible and he doesn't know he's supposed to add to his faith virtue. Okay, next step. Virtue to virtue, knowledge. He doesn't have a Bible, so he can't grow in knowledge. 
because he has no way of knowing what to do. He has no way of increasing the virtue. He has no way of having the knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. I have the knowledge. I now apply that to my life. I don't go out and do the things I used to do. That's what Peter is saying, okay? Virtue, knowledge, self-control. Well, the guy in Japan doesn't know that. So he's out every night doing the same things he always did. He just knows that he's saved, okay? To self-control, perseverance. I have the self-control and now I'm going to persevere in it. I'm going to stand fast in the things that are pulling at me all day long, every day. Perseverance, okay? To perseverance, godliness. I'm persevering in my self-control and I'm becoming godly. How am I doing it? Because I'm reading the word and I'm applying the word to myself, just like Paul is saying right here, okay? To godliness, brotherly kindness. I'm not only acting in a godly member, but manner, but I am now transmitting that to others as well. Brotherly kindness is exuding from me so that they can know what I possess and they'll want to have it, okay? And to brotherly kindness, love. Exactly what Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 13, add into it love. So you've got this great thing that Peter's telling you to do. You're saved, here's what you are to do to grow in that salvation. And then in verse 8 he says, for if these things are yours, all the things he just said, growing, 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 if these are yours and abound, meaning they're in you and they're instilled in you and they're growing in you and they abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Implying that if you don't do these things, you will be both barren and unfruitful, meaning no works. Works do not naturally stem from saving faith. I'm sorry if people teach that, it is a false teaching. That's why we have so many people that are uneducated in the word and that are walking around thinking, maybe I'm not saved because I don't have good works. Why don't you? Because you don't know the word. Nobody told you that after you're saved, you need to get into the word and you need to develop what you have received from Christ. And then he says in verse nine, here it is. For he, the person that he's speaking about, there's a person that is abounding in good works, but he says, for he who lacks these things, these things that he just said, the person who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, there's blindness again, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. In other words, this guy is so out of touch with having been saved that he forgot he was saved. I know lots of people like that. They were saved, they loved the Lord, and then they just walked away and they don't even know if they're saved anymore. Are you saved? I'm not sure. I talked to a guy that was coming out to give me a bid on some electrical work last week. And, you know, I said, can I tell you about Jesus? First, I asked him, what's going to happen to you when you die? And he says, well, I guess I'm going to go to hell. That was his answer. And I said, well, you know, you can correct that. And he says, well, how? And I, I gave him the gospel. And he says, well, I know that. And he says, I accept Jesus. And I'm like, well, you see, this is a problem. You haven't done what Peter said right here. He had forgotten. He, he just couldn't remember. He said, well, I remember I accepted Jesus. He knew the Bible. Man, he was quoting scripture to me all the time. He just had never applied what he knew. So he got so far and he stopped. But he did know that he was saved after thinking about it. I, I'm saved. I, I received Jesus. I said, well, then the next time somebody asks you that question, what's going to happen to you when you die? You say, I'm going to heaven. And when they say, why? You say, because I was saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And now go do something about it. Do what Peter just said and do what Paul is saying right here. You see how important it is to properly understand when you are talking to people about salvation because that guy's got this conflict in his life. He believes in Jesus. Well, you know, but I don't know if I'm saved. And, 
his whole life is in upheaval because he doesn't have the surety and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. What a sad place to be. So hopefully now he will pursue Christ. I gave him my business card and I said, if you have questions, call me, email me. We'll get this resolved. But you need to be grounded in Christ. This is how you develop and this is how you grow and this is how good works will stem from you. Not naturally. I'm sorry, it is not natural. There's nothing natural about driving all the way from Venice in 10 minutes to come to a Bible class. There's nothing natural about that, okay? I'm so glad. Clarification. So what do you do then with someone who does come to Christ? They know nothing further because they're new believers, but people who know them immediately see a difference in their lives and want to know what happened. Well, to then you need to you need to nurture that person. You need to do it, okay? There you just if you don't, they're just going to start falling away and they're eventually going to be just back in the world and but yes, if they have that that joy in them, they need to have it nurtured, okay? I I can't give away. I was going to talk about something that happened this morning to give you a great example of exactly that. I can't. But uh I can assure you that if you Say, you know, I, I believe in Jesus, I'm saved, and you don't nurture this. If you don't pursue the word, if you don't study it, if you don't, uh, you know, if you don't go to church, I, I'm not here to beat people up over that because obviously I'm a pastor and it makes it look like I want people to come to church. I, that's not my thing, but you should do that wherever you go, okay? Go to Bible study or attend online, okay? But if you don't do that, you're going to be in exactly the position of what I had to deal with this morning exactly that position if you live your life for christ if you're grounded in christ you are not going to face what i had to go through this morning and it took up a lot of the morning didn't it he to go <laughs> oh she was upstairs anyway all i can tell you is it took up an hour or more of my time which i did not have because yesterday was so stressful but i i went through it i want you to take your time and learn this word above all else yes burke great commission Teaching them to observe, teaching them to observe all it, things. It's almost as important as to get them saved. Yeah. That's right. Getting people, you know, I, I, I don't want to say who this is, but one of my great regrets is that I've led a few people right here in Sarasota to Christ, and their English is so poor that I've never been able to disciple them. And it's always bothered me. It's always bothered me. They're, one, they're very busy people. They're they're very busy people, and but their English is not good. It would take forever for me to do that. And so I, they're one of my prayers when I pray about those things is that, you know, somebody would come that would be able to talk to them about the Lord in a manner that they could understand. Because, you know, you get people with different languages, different cultures, and you can get them saved. The gospel is universal, but the doctrine takes time. Okay. But you're right. Okay. So um, where was I? Uh, Christ uh, notes true believers haven't learned Christ in... Yes. What? Uh, what? Oh, you had a question. I'm sorry. There are a number of people that get caught up by the verse in James. Um, uh, yeah, 224. Because they don't understand what he's talking about. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Let me take you there. And don't don't read it because they can't hear you unless you talk really loud. Okay. Okay. 214. Is that where you want to go? Because 224 is the one that is, you know. Okay. Hang on. Give me just a second there. And what I will do, because James is very complicated, it's very complicated, is that I will tell you to go read my commentary on James, and it, it, it's long, it's windy, but you will understand it rather than me going through. And we'll be in James in no time. We'll be done with Ephesians shortly, we'll be through all the other books, and we'll be in James 
in a couple weeks. So no, hang on. You're not <laughs> um, no, not at all. Okay, uh, James two fourteen. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Well, that's exactly what we're talking about. I know. I okay. Understand. Oh, okay. It's so you were just block. yeah. It is a stumbling block, and people will use that and say, "Well, see, he can't be saved." That's not at all what James is saying. He's saying he has faith, but he doesn't have works. Well, that's because he's not in the Word and he's not growing in Christ. Okay. But once again, you get down to 2.22 through 24, and it says there, um, uh, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. And then you've got a, a seeming contradiction because Paul says that man is justified by faith and not by works. Go read the commentary or wait, and we'll be there in no time at all. Okay. <laughs> I won't get into that now, though, because it's a very complicated passage. Yes. Ephesians chapter 2.10 says, for good works which he had prepared for us beforehand that's right after we're saved we are supposed to do these things and if we don't follow the logical progress of what paul is writing about here and what peter wrote about in 2 peter 1 we are never going to have good works and that does not mean we are not saved and it is so easy for people to start maturing in christ a little bit or a lot and to suddenly start pointing their fingers at other people and saying, well, that person can't be saved. It's very easy for us to have that attitude because now we have knowledge. And what does Paul say knowledge does? Knowledge puffs up. All of a sudden, we are the specialists and they can't be saved or they're bad Christians. When, listen, by the grace of God, you had the time to go to Bible class. You know, hopefully you went to a good one because if not, then you've got either a legalistic attitude or you've got a, uh, you know, a attitude of license. Either way, you're, you're, misdirected you need to stick to the word and you need to read it and think on it but yeah we we need to not be puffed up towards others we need to try to direct them to christ to his word to growing in him okay um he notes that true believers haven't learned christ in a way that leads to lewdness and ungodliness of the previous verses if indeed you have heard him i know i've read this but i'm reading it again there's an emphasis on him as if it should read if indeed you have heard he himself in other words, if it was the true Christ whom you heeded, then you have learned a way other than that which I just described. To further bolster this, and once again, this is like, I know I've read this already, he goes on by saying, and have been taught by him. Rather, it should say, and have been taught in him. If one is in Christ and he is taught in the teachings of Christ, which is what Peter was referring us to a minute ago, okay? In Christ, by those designated in verse 11, then we will not walk in the vile way of the unregenerate. It doesn't mean we're not saved. It simply means that we have not followed the protocol of the Bible. Okay, instead, they will fit the description of those who are properly trained in accord with the words of verses 12 through 16 of Ephesians or Peter's words of 2 Peter 1, starting in like verse 5 and getting down to about verse 7. Do these things and you will be productive. You will not be a person that's doing these wrong things. Okay. Paul is carefully and methodically establishing what is right and appropriate for Christians in the conduct of their lives, and also that which is acceptable. We learn the proper spiritual understanding of what it means to be in Christ, Paul says, as the truth is in Jesus. Jesus is Christ, the office and the office holder, okay? Paul now moves from the title to the position, I'm sorry, the title and position, Christ, to the person, Jesus. He said in Christ, now he's saying in Jesus. See what he's done? He's tying the person in with what God is doing in Christ. 
the person Jesus who fulfilled and continues to fulfill the role of the title and the position. The title and position is Christ. It's the position. He sits in the position of Christ of the world. The title is, it would be like you're the king. You sit on the throne. That's the position. You have the title king. Okay. Well, he is also the king. But right now he's dealing with the title and position of Christ. The title and position are one, but they have two different meanings, okay, or two different thoughts, all right? Jesus claimed in John 14, 6 that he is the truth. It is through studying the life that he lived as recorded in the Gospels that we come to understand the true Christ, okay? We've got all of this writing that we go through week after week after week in Deuteronomy. All of this writing, and we keep seeing Jesus come out of passage after passage. This week, I'm going to keep it very short because we went through last week the details of certain pictures of Christ. I'm not going to repeat that because the sermon would be an extra 10 pages long. There's no point in doing that. So I'm just going to say, you know what we went through last week. Here is how he fulfills that particular role. Let's go there very quickly so that I'm just going to read it to you so you know what's coming. You can think about it, but if you just think about what we did last week and then look at the ver the verses for this week, then you'll know in advance how he fulfills or fills, fulfills these roles. Okay, so we start in verse 22. If a man is found lying with a woman married to a husband, then both of them shall die, the man that lay with the woman and the woman. So you shall put away the evil from Israel. We know that Christ fulfills that, and how does he do it? We'll just go through it very briefly. I'm not going to give all the background information that I went through last week. Next one. If a young woman who is a virgin is betrothed to a husband, and a man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city, and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry out in the city, and the man, because he humbled his neighbor's wife, so you shall put away the evil from among you. There's another picture of Christ and what he did. Verse 25, but if a man finds a betrothed young woman in the countryside and the man forces her and lies with her, then only the man who lay with her shall die. But you shall do nothing to the young woman. There is nothing in the young woman, no sin deserving of death. For just as when a man rises against his neighbor and kills him, even so is this matter. For he found her in the countryside and the betrothed young woman cried out, but there was no one to save her. How does Moses know that she cried out? How does he know that she didn't just go out and meet that guy out there? He doesn't. He's giving typology of Christ. And he's also giving law. So think about that before we get to the sermon. Verse 28, if a man finds a young woman who is a virgin who is not betrothed, and he seizes her and lies with her, and they are found out. These were really complicated verses here. I'm going to tell you that right now. This one and the next. Then the man who lay with her shall give the young woman's father 50 shekels of silver, and she shall be his wife because he has humbled her, he shall not be permitted to divorce her all his days. Those two verses were really, really complicated. Okay? No, that was, no, we did um, last week through verse 21. Oh, that was the evidences of the virginity, the tokens. Wasn't there a clause where he had to pay 50 shekels of silver? Yes. Oh, you're talking about the precept. Yeah, that was in verse 19. And they shall find him 100 shekels of silver. Oh, okay. Remember, the bride price was 50, 50, so they doubled it. That was double. Yes, that's correct. So, um, verse 29, then the man who lay with her shall give to the young woman's father. Oh, I read that. 30, and a man shall, a man shall not take his father's wife nor uncover his father's bed. Okay, Jesus gave Moses that law. And then he says, this law that you guys are reading speaks of me. He's in there. 
these things typify him and what he has done. So there you go with that. But uh, here's the truth. It is through studying the life, Old Testament that I just read you, that he lived as recorded in the Gospels in fulfillment of that typology and which he continues to fulfill in the church as well, as recorded in the Gospels, that we can come to understand the true Christ. This stuff is given. It's said, you know, how do there are no examples of some of those recorded anywhere in Scripture. There are some examples that are real and literally happened, and I'll cite them, but there are some that are never recorded in Scripture. And so we know that it's typology. We know that Moses is giving us information that will tell us about something that Christ has done. Okay, further, it is through an explanation of that same life, meaning Jesus in the Gospels, that we understand the nature of what his life meant, as well as the significance of his ongoing work, as I said, in the church, also for Israel in the end times, also for what's coming in the millennium. All of this, all of this is about Christ. Everything that the Bible is dealing with is about Christ. We're going through Revelation uh, 21 right now. I typed Revelation 22 verse 1 today because I'm 10, 11 days ahead. I'm in the last chapter of Revelation, which means I'll be done in about 20 days, and then I'll start typing a commentary on Acts. But um, the Revelation, let me just read it to you, 22, 1 and 2, spans the entire Bible, the thought that is presented there. It spans the entire Bible, okay? The commentary won't be that long. It'll be a couple pages at best on each of them, but I could literally go on for many, many pages. Okay, here it is. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of, this is what I'll type tomorrow. In the middle of the street and it's on it, either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healings of the nation, healing of the nations. The New King James Version put that in the past tense, was and were. I would disagree with that right now. He's looking at a prophecy of the future, but they're, they're inserted words. They're italicized, which means they're not in the Greek, and they're just putting it in there. But um, anyway, that's what I'm going to type them. And that literally goes from Genesis chapter 2, I believe. Yes, Genesis chapter 2, all the way through the Bible. It goes to uh, Isaiah. It goes through Ezekiel chapter 47, 48, right in that area, those two chapters. It goes into the New Testament. It goes into John chapter 7, John chapter 10. It goes into what Paul speaks about in 1 Corinthians 10, all the way through the Bible. Those two verses could be analyzed and picked apart and applied in one long commentary. There's not enough room to do all that, but you'll get a synopsis of it. And it's all pointing to what God is doing in Christ before his advent, during his advent, since then, and off into eternity. It is all about God and Christ, everything. Okay, yes? What you're saying is you see Christ in all the scriptures. You've got to be that. Search the scriptures. Yeah. The only scriptures they had, this is John. That was Old Testament. Yes. That's so right. Search the scriptures. And, in them you think you have eternal life. But they, they are what speak of me. That's right. And that was, at the time, that was the only scripture they had was the Old Testament. So he's in there. We just didn't see him when we, we read That's right. We, we, <laughs> you don't read fast. Take your time and peck through it, and you will find Christ in there. Every single bit of it. Um, okay, we got just a couple minutes, so i got to get this done. Let's see here. Uh, further. Uh, yes, further. It is an explanation of that same life that we understood the nature of what his life meant, 
as well as the significance of his ongoing work. I just talked about that. This same use of Christ and Jesus to show the complement between the office and the one who fulfilled and fills the office is found elsewhere in the New Testament. One example, one excellent example is given by Paul in Romans chapter 8. Let me take you there. And he says in Romans chapter 8, oh boy. Okay, I'm almost there, folks. Sorry, turning and turning. Uh, verse 11, he says, But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. The Spirit of Jesus is the man raised from the dead and who dwells in us. The position of Christ was raised from the dead and is the same authority who will also give us life. The two concepts, Christ the man and Jesus the man, must be taken together. A Christ who is not Jesus is a false Christ. The role of Christ, which does not adhere to the life of Jesus, is a false presentation of Christ. John says to discern the spirits. Okay, we need to do that. Is what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach true? Is what the Seventh-day Adventists teach true? Is what the Mormons teach true? They say, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's my, my Savior. I believe he died for my sins. And then you find out that they have a completely different presentation of who Jesus is. A completely different. It's not the same Jesus. It is a false Jesus, and thus they are pursuing a false gospel. And this is just the way it is. Um, the role of Christ, which does not adhere to the life of Jesus, is a false presentation of Christ. The doctrine which we follow of Christ must be the same doctrine which is presented in Jesus, or we are following a false Christ. It goes both ways. Christ and Jesus, we have to have the right Christ, we have to have the right Jesus, we have to have the right presentation of both of them. If we have those things, then we are following the right Christ. And it's not that difficult, it really isn't, but it is very easy to twist. That's the problem. And that's why, once again, I'll say it. I've said it at least three times today and maybe four. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Read it in the morning. Read it in the evening. Read it at night. And the reason why this is important is because if you are presented with something and you haven't got the knowledge of what the Bible basically says, you don't need to be a scholar. You don't need to be a theologian. But if you don't have the knowledge of what the Bible is saying, in just a general term, you have no idea of what you're being told is true or not. But if you at least have a knowledge of the Bible because you've read it four or five or eight times and you've listened to it three or four times, then you will be able to say, that doesn't sound right. And that will keep you from going down the wrong path. If you know this word, at least you will know when you hear something that is you know, subject to being possibly wrong, even if you don't know how to defend it or against it. Okay, very important to know the word. Um, I, uh, let me see, what was I just thinking about? Um, um, ah, it doesn't matter. I, I had something from an email from somebody that emailed me this past week, and I asked, can I ask, uh, can I read this email? And I didn't print it off yet. I just got a yes this morning, but it's a girl from Malawi, and she lives in South Africa, and she is going to school in South Africa right now. And she has had a big change in her life. She's pursuing the word. And she said, I, I just went through my head and I forgot what she had said, but I asked, can I read this email to the church? And she said, yes, you can. 
Okay, so whatever went through my mind that I was going to say, um, it's not going to uh, be inappropriate, but it was something about the Word of God, something like, you know, you keep saying to read the Word and be, oh, I remember now. Here's what she said. She said, I have read the Bible here and there, but I've never read the Bible. And she said, in one of your sermons, she said, if you read the Bible 30 minutes a day, you can be done in 154 days. She said, I never thought about it that way. And so she says, I am reading my Bible 30 minutes a day. And she's going to be done in 154 days. And I'm going to tell you something. When she gets done, if she tells me, Charlie, I finished the Bible, the first thing I'm going to do is say, good, start again. Okay? Because the more you've read it, the more that you are immersed in it, the more unlikely it is that you will be led astray. Keep reading your Bible. Okay? And that's a protection against Charlie Garrett as much as anybody else. Because I could be wrong. I would never willingly or purposefully teach somebody wrong. I would not do that. But I could be wrong. And if I am and you have the bell go up, then you say, Charlie, I want to know why you said that. Why did you say that? And how can you defend that? And I get a lot of those throughout the week. And I never take offense at it, ever, because they want to know. Sometimes people will wear me out because then they start doing 15-mile-long emails that I just can't deal with. But if they keep it short and they just come with a question, I will go back and I'll respond to it. And if they give me more than two questions, I often get lost and I forget to address one or two of them because it's just too much. What I have to do is I have to cut and paste the whole thing, put it on a Word document, and then start answering that way. And that takes too much of my time. So I'd appreciate, you know, just if people just send me short questions and then we can go through it that way. But whatever, I try to answer them all. Life application and we are done. The only way to know if we are pursuing the true Christ is to pursue him as revealed in the person and work of Jesus, who is the Christ and the only true Christ. And yet, we rise early and find a thousand reasons to not read and study the Bible. Let us not make this catastrophic mistake, but let us be wise and diligent in our study of Christ Jesus. Yes. Meditate. Be like the cow. Chew it up. That's right. The cow chews the cud, and that's a picture of, you know, Leviticus 11. I'm glad you said it because we still have a couple minutes. Leviticus 11 is the dietary laws of Israel. It's supplemented by more dietary laws in the book of Deuteronomy. I don't remember the chapter. But people think that God is telling them that this food isn't to be eaten for a particular reason for diet or for their health or something like that. It has this much to do with that. How do we know that? I defended this during those sermons, but I'll tell you very quickly. The way we know that is because those dietary laws never existed until the law of Moses was introduced. And guess what? Those dietary laws never pertain to any people in the world apart from the Jews under the law. They do not pertain now, as Paul clearly demonstrates many times in his writings. If that's true, then if it was for the health of the people, it means that God does not care about your health now. He didn't care about the health of Abraham then. He didn't care about the health of Noah or anybody else. Okay, that is untrue. What he just said is exactly what is being pictured in the, you are not to eat anything that does not chew the cud and have divided hooves. You have to have both. It can't be divided hooves, but not chewing the cud like, like a pig, cud like a pig, and it cannot have um, chew the cud, but not have divided hooves like the hare. Okay. They sit there and they chew, but they don't have divided hooves. Why? Because there are two pictures being made. The first is that you are to rightly divide the word of God. That's a picture of the divided hooks. You take the word of God and you rightly divide it. And the second is you chew on it. 
and you spit the chewing the cud means that it goes down into one stomach it digests and then they spit it back up and they chew it again and they chew it and they chew it and they get it ready for the next stomach goes down into the next stomach and then if they have four stomachs they do it four times and it gets each stomach ready for the food to be digested the lord is telling israel a lesson meditate on the word and rightly divide the word and then every single animal that is declared unclean in leviticus chapter 11 and deuteronomy every one of them typifies something in the new testament epistles either do this or don't do this every single one of them it is giving us a picture of life in christ and that's all it's giving us yes before we go we got one more minute go ahead oh, oh i thought you had your hand up okay so uh, rightly divide the word of god you can't do that if you don't know the word of god and even people that do know the word of god wrongly divide the word of god i've caught myself a million times saying oh was i wrong in that one okay it's very big book it's very complicated and the more that we study it and the more that we know it the less we're going to do that but it's still possible okay so heavenly father we thank you so very much for the chance to come into your presence and to share in this this wonderful gift which tells us of the wonderful, wonderful gift beyond all price, which is our Lord Jesus Christ. So thank you for your word, which tells of him. Thank you for Christ who shows us your heart, your very heart for us, fallen creatures that you have redeemed because of your love for us. Help us to be responsible with this message and to get it out and to tell other people about it, to hand out tracts, to let people know that there is redemption in this fallen world and not to turn to the uselessness that is being perpetuated and growing all through our schools, through our institutions, through our, our teachers. Lord, help us to get people to understand a better way exists, and it is you. Thank you for that. Help us to do it, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let me turn off the thing. If I go over an hour and a half, then Mike has a lot more work to do, and I don't want to do that, so that's why I have to rush at the end. But while I'm thinking of this, we got tracks. I just filled it up again, so please take some tracks and hand them out. And uh, let's say goodbye to the folks online, offline, online. What am I? Great. Okay.